Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Samuel Hill, who is the product marketing manager for Ciolo Security. Samuel specializes in critical device security and implementing resilient IT strategies. Um, Sam's also worked with a variety of organizations in industries such as manufacturing, banking, and financial services, insurance, and oil and gas. And we're going to talk to Samuel about how you go about implementing a uh, critical device security program and resilient IT strategies. But before we do that, we're going to say hi to Samuel. Samuel, how are you today? Hey, Mark, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. It's awesome to be here. My pleasure. Hey, um, I took a look at your LinkedIn profile, and I, are you in Seattle or are you in Bozeman? I live in Montana. Yeah, I, okay. I grew up in Seattle, uh, moved out here to Montana just recently, but uh, we have officially survived our first winter. Now that it's spring and the snow is starting <laughs> to melt, it's uh, it's been pretty cool. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, so do you have a preference for snow versus rain? Because Seattle, it's all about the rain, right? Uh, you know, it, yes, I prefer snow. Uh, like okay. I live 20 minutes from a skiing hill and get to take my kids and family up there. It's been been a fun winter. Nice, nice. Yeah, in, in fact, it's funny because just this morning here, uh, what's the date? What's the date today? March 23rd or 4th? What is it? It's the, the March 24th. Yeah. Um, I, I looked out the window here and it was snowing, uh, but yeah. it quickly turned into rain. So <laughs> as, as it does, you know. Um, right. Hey, hey, I got to ask you, There's before we jump into the, uh, the, the security related topics, um, I, I looked at the show notes and it says you have a background in emergency room and an MA in strategic leadership. Okay. So let's talk about the emergency room uh, experience first. What were you doing? Yeah, I was an emergency room tech for about seven and a half years. It's kind of my first adult job. And uh, yeah, at one point, I thought I wanted to go to medical school and be a trauma surgeon and really help save lives. And you know, God bless the women and men who work so hard in that profession. Um, but I made the transition after you know a while to the technology industry and, and moved on from there. But yeah, a lot of fun, uh, very boring at times, really crazy, weird, and scary at times. But uh, you know, the, the women and men who work on the front lines of healthcare just hold a real special place in my heart from that time of time of service for me. Well, good for you, man. I mean, I think uh, I th that's got to be a tough job and just dealing with people, helping people through that, that also just seeing it and dealing with it um, yourself. That's that's uh, pretty, pretty impressive. Um, you also have an MA in strategic leadership. What is strategic leadership? You know, strategic leadership is, I, I, I would define it as the ability to kind of step above the fray and kind mm -hmm. of look at where are we going and, and where should we be going and and have that wider lens view and then diving back down into the fray and actually getting to work with the teams and the people that are, are making that happen so uh it kind of is a, a multidisciplinary approach in the leadership space you know you're combining mm -hmm. things around servant leadership and uh coaching and, and all sorts of different strategic things that go on to it uh, but that's it was a it was a fascinating uh, field of study, and I actually got to be a part of a cohort with you know people from all over the world and a wide variety of disciplines, from you know former doctors to people who are in you know deposit insurance companies or the deposit insurance commissions of their country, and really wide variety of folks. And so it was a fascinating learning cohort. That's excellent. Hey, does that help you in your current role at all? It does, because I mean, when you work in security, everything is, it's a problem. Like there are mm -hmm. lots of problems, hairs on fire most of the time. <laughs> and it, being able to step out, take a look at where we sh should be going, how we should get there. I, I found it to be really useful. And, and at the end of the day, uh, it's all about people. How do right. you work with people? How do you not just manage, but how do you be a good team player? How do you be a good example, a good leader? 
those are the things that I think I really took from that thing, which I, I think are very applicable into the cybersecurity space. Well, and then how did you make the transition from, you know, working in an emergency room environment for seven, seven and a half years to a, a more technical area? You know, I kind of felt this life change happen. I was a young man at the time. And so I felt this life change happening for my family. And so we ended up moving states uh, back up to the Seattle area and, you know, just kind of worked through the connections that I had. And I ended up getting a job, a more typical office job, because I just moved states and I need a job. And, you know, from there kind of made those progressions and took some certification courses and met people and worked networks and got to know other folks. And uh, soon enough, found myself working for technology companies uh, and to the role that I'm in today. So it wasn't a, um, I, I, I would say it was kind of a planned transition. I felt like, yeah. you know, my time in emergency medicine was done and, and I needed to try something new. But it was also one of those, uh, as with most jobs and most industries, it is who you know and, and what you talk about and, and, and the relationships you build along the way. Yeah, I mean, we, we get a lot of uh, listeners who are kind of mid-career um, mm -hmm. transitions, transitioning into cybersecurity. And um, I'm just curious if you don't mind sharing, you know, what type yeah. of courses you took and, you know, were they online or were they on-site or, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to laugh. The, the course that I took was actually um, a Cisco sales essentials course uh, with the company yeah. I worked for, a back office, which is, I mean, about as basic of a entry level thing. It's kind of just an overview of, of Cisco's architecture and structures. And so, uh, but I was able to say, Hey, I have this certification and got to talk to some people that I knew that worked in, in the industry. And so, uh, but to the, to those listeners of yours who are kind of making that transition middle of career, whatever it is into the cybersecurity industry. First, I just want to say welcome. It is an absolute uh, thrill to have you here from whatever background you come out. In fact, I, I wrote about this recently in a blog that I did was we have such a talent gap and a, and a shortage in this industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think trying to solve it in typical ways of, well, let's just find more cybersecurity people to fill cybersecurity roles. Well, no, we got to look a lot wider. We need to look for folks that are coming from an incredibly diverse set of backgrounds from uh, lots of other industries that I think would be very well suited to the cybersecurity space. And they may not understand how to operate a security operations center. Mm -hmm. You can teach them that. You can learn that. But if you have the the drive and the willingness to work hard, the curiosity to learn, the ability, the, the willingness to serve, uh, those are skills that will take you far. So welcome to the cybersecurity industry. We need you. It's great to have you. That's awesome. Yeah, just last week I, I spoke with Heath Adams, who is the CEO of, of TCM Security, that mm -hmm. does uh, ethical hacking and, and penetration services, but he also has a very successful online uh, learning academy for those people who want to learn about ethical hacking and penetration testing. I think he's had something like 170,000 students. Um, and he he himself, you know, worked as an accountant. That's That was his background. And uh, one day he just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he transitioned and he talks about it. <clears throat> he says, you know, I, I don't even think a college degree, that's a nice thing to have. But yeah. in this space, it's more about the skill set and experience. And, um, and that's what we're looking for. I also hear from a wide variety of companies that one of their most successful recruitment strategies is involved uh, involves looking at people who are transitioning out of the military. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, um, so let's get into the topic at hand. Yep. What is critical device security? Well, so there's a lot of things that make up all of our different networks and environments. And you know, I say the word things purposefully, right? They could be a um, uh, an injector pushing fluid into a bottle of Coca-Cola. They could be a network device. They could be, right. there's all sorts of different things. I mean, I, one company I worked at, we had like smart lights in conference rooms that would like blink when five minutes were left in your meeting to kind of give you a visual cue of, 
you know, instead of the people standing at the door looking in sure. the window trying to tell you the conference room <laughs> is going to be used. Yeah. Get a little, so those things are all connected, and now they're all this uh, myriad of ways that, unfortunately, they can be hacked. Uh, mm -hmm. So critical device security is about how do we manage that level of risk across a wide variety, a wide variety of things that are really critical to our business. So, you know, for for some places, and if, back to my healthcare background, you know, if the elevators stop working, you know, the CEO knows about that, then that's a right. critical stop. Patient care cannot happen. Um, if medical devices are incorrectly delivering um, metered doses of medication, that's a critical thing. We we are now affecting human life potentially. There's a lot of critical things that could go wrong. You know, on a manufacturing plant, um, if something you know does not work properly, human life could also be at risk. Because uh, we had heard a story of one company had a, just a giant spool of material that came loose on their manufacturing plant. You know, three thousand pounds of material all of a sudden rolling down the assembly line. Um, you know, duck, get out of the way right. of that one. That's that doesn't seem good. So these are critical devices and and any risk to those devices is something we have to manage. And and cybersecurity is unfortunately one of the greatest risks that a lot of companies face today. Well, what's the process or heuristic for an organization to kind of go through and say, okay, hey, you know, this device, my toaster is not critical, <laughs> but the uh, the medical device over there in the corner is critical. I mean, what's the process for doing that in a large organization? You know, I would imagine it's going to be, uh, I'm sure there's a very specific linear process you could follow. However, it's going to be so different what you uncover. And I think having mm -hmm. that willingness to say uh, it's more about what we uncover. Mm -hmm. Now, the way I would describe it is this, is what would the thing be that causes enormous damage to your business? Like if that thing stopped or if that thing broke or, you know, what would cause the emergency meeting or, you know, say it this way. If you're a security officer and you're sitting in a conference room with your team and you're planning something and it's just, you know, you know, kind of one of your regular run-of-the-mill meetings and somebody walks in and says, hey, 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 this happened. Yeah. And, and your response, if your response is, everybody get out, get to work, fix that right now. This is, this is. That's, cr know, that's critical. That's critical. That, okay. <laughs> right. You, you can imagine what that is. So whatever those devices are, start there. That's, yeah. that's the stuff we start with. And then, you know, if you get down to, you said toasters or smart refrigerators, a company I worked at, uh, they had, you know, they built a brand new building and all of a sudden they noticed outbound internet connections happening. And like, no one is in the office. Like no one has even occupied this building. Yet. What is it? It was the vending machine phoning home to this, you know, supply website, basically saying, Hey, I'm here, I'm alive. And I, I want to, you know, update. So these devices, maybe that's not as critical, but it's still on your network. So you then go from there. So those devices that are going to be absolutely my, my kids, my kids would be like, um, oh my god, the, the PlayStation, PlayStation's not working. <laughs> yeah, I set a rule on our Wi-Fi at home. You know, the kids' devices turn off at a certain time, and I and they, it's it's predictable. They walk into the office, Dad, it's, it's <laughs> not working five more again. minutes, man. Five more yeah. minutes. <laughs> exactly right for them. That's that's their critical thing. We gotta gotta keep that going. You know, and then you look at it. So these devices are critical. Right? This is keeping our business functioning. This is, you know, how we make money. Or, I mean, in some cases, you know, if, if it's a critical infrastructure, delivering clean water to a city, now yeah. we're talking about a whole other scale of magnitude or a pipeline delivering natural gas or petroleum to, an, to the eastern seaboard, you know, whatever that is, those things are critical. And then you start looking, okay, well, what kind of controls can we put in place, you know, for these critical devices, you might have, yeah, we got good controls. So then you can start moving to maybe the lower tier and say, these are critical because somebody could get in and then start moving around. 
that's kind of the heuristic I would follow in starting to identify the devices and, and okay. looking at that. So you create an inventory and then you got to go through and decide what's critical, what's not critical. And, you know, you might have a different way of doing that, but like, you know, I, I think that you gave some really good examples, but what you also did is you talked about, you know, a, a wide, wide variety of devices. Okay. Right. So, um, how can you go about, you know, uh, de deploying security for um, all these different types of devices? I mean, you know, because one type of device is going to need one type of platform to secure right. it. Something else is going to need something else. So tell me about, about that. Well, I think the other compounding on that, I mean, first off, it, it sounds so easy to say, oh, yeah, just get an inventory, right? I, you know, that's not easy. That's yeah. actually really hard work. And I'm not trying to minimize the level of effort here. However, once you have that, so then you get to the point of, okay, you have all these devices and, you know, a, a mentor of mine, he says, it's a mathematical proven fact that every software code has some bug or some vulnerability in it. Mm -hmm. And so, and then relying on, can we get a patch for it? Can we update that? I mean, that's just a, it's a never ending game. So the way I like to look at it is if you can kind of close the door on the front end, or at least like get rid of the door on the front end then a lot of the issues that are happening inside the environment, they they tend to get a little bit smaller. And so um, I actually heard it said the other day, it was really, you don't have to be like most secure. Yeah, you just have to be, um, you have to be hard enough for the hackers that their level of effort required to get in is they're going to move on somewhere else. Yeah, they're, like they're looking for the low hanging fruit always. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's their fastest path to whatever their metric is. Mm -hmm. And so if you can, if you can, work to get that access controlled in a way that makes sense for your company, I think that's going to go an incredible distance towards solving some of the challenge. Awesome. So um, is can you just talk a little bit about some, uh, maybe provide some use cases of companies that you've helped in terms of yeah. like going in and yeah, and, and what, what, what was their situation, uh, the devices that they had, and then how did you secure them? Absolutely. So one of our one of our large customers is uh, it's a global manufacturer of of packaged goods. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, they they make a cookie that you like to dunk in milk. Typically, it's got um, really delicious stuffing on the inside of it. And this the the machines that they use to manufacture those devices, they are made by certain companies that are really well known. You know, Siemens, GE, Rockwell. I mean, you name these Schneider. They're making these machines that are doing the work on the assembly line of making these cookies. Now, if that cookie assembly line shuts down for any reason, that's their, that is their, like everything stops business critical. We've got to keep cookies out to the people. So for them, the access of those, the manufacturers, technicians who have to log in remotely to these devices to do either troubleshooting or maintenance or whatever, that was to, that was critical. That was a critical risk for them because they had no visibility to what was happening. They had no way of actually identifying and saying, oh, this is this is Samuel from this company and he's logging into this device for this period of time to do this work. And then when that's over, he's he's out. And that was, that was a tough challenge for them because they're sitting there saying, we have no idea. And now these people are coming into this really critical and hopefully isolated area of our environment that's making cookies for the world. And we have no control over what's happening when they're there. So that's what we did. We worked with them to kind of put in kind of the controls in place. So from the access perspective, now we're able to identify specifically which user it is from that manufacturer. Then they're able mm -hmm. to say, what controls are we going to put in place? What are you allowed to do while you're in our environment? Mm -hmm. and, and not just like a, 
okay, you're in the environment, you can kind of go wherever, but also a, a, a pinpoint restriction on you're allowed to talk to this one thing. Mm-hmm. And then also while you're talking to that one thing, we're going to record that session. We're going to keep an audit trail of everything that's happening. And we're going to have a, a whole lot of detail about the work that's been done. And then when your work is finished, your access is going to be completely restricted and rescinded until the next time that it's needed. And so that was something that actually they told us, um, this never happens, but IT and OT, they both like your solution. That never happens. So this is amazing <laughs> that you can solve uh, some of the challenges that they're having there. Awesome. And and roughly like the number of devices that were covered in the, the, in the, in the different types. I mean, thousands and thousands across the manufacturing lines for them wow. all over the world. And, and if you think about it, so what happens, these devices are made by, you know, Yokogawa or whomever. Mm-hmm. A part of the sale of that device to the company is a service contract, which mandates remote connectivity mm-hmm. into the device, right? And so you're sitting there saying, I have to connect this person. I don't want to, because it's probably very insecure to just allow a random person from another company that I, sure. I don't want to trust. I don't have to do it. So it's it was a major, massive scale problem for them. And we were able to help put the right kind of the, you know, the additional checks and balances in place so that they could feel a lot better about it and mm. cookies keep coming out to the world. That's, that's critical. You know, they <laughs> keep the cookies flowing. I well, mean, we, we just got through the, uh, the girl scout uh, cookie season here and it, it's just two weeks of terror every time I stop by the store. Cause I actually, I do, I have this bad habit of, of stopping by the local market and, yep. uh, and buying fresh veggies and, and probably some beverages almost on a daily basis. Yep. And, and, and I just try not to make eye contact because <laughs> like, I, you know, I bought a couple boxes, but you know, I mean, yeah. I, well, what can I do? You know, but, and, and, and they're pretty persistent. They're pretty tenacious, you know, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Yeah. you like to buy something. I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. like, do but, you uh, see my cart full of fresh veggies? I, right. yes, yeah. I want to, but no, I don't. Yeah. 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 But, uh, Hey, um, so I, I, you know, I guess, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't take a look at Ciolo's uh, website prior to this uh, conversation, but I, I, I'm assuming that what Ciolo does or Ciolo Security does is provide this type of platform or tool that allows you to kind of uh, monitor, uh, allow access, monitor activity. Um, maybe can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'd, I'd kind of like to yeah. uh, drill down on that a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. So what, what Ciolo is, is we provide a level of control that is needed. So we were built where our founders are a former CISO of an operational technology manufacturing company and two ethical hackers. And so they looked at some real world problems of like, I need to be able to do this. It's not clean or easy with kind of stacking a whole bunch of different things together. And so they, they built Ciolo to solve that challenge. And so the way we look at it is what is the highest risk that a company is facing from their access? What access is preventing a lot of risk for them? So Ciolo sits as a, um, I'll describe it, it's it's a Docker container. So it's a, a small software container and it sits entirely within a customer's trusted environment. Mm-hmm. And inside of there, it it only sends a connection out and says, what, what do you have? What connections do you have for me? So any user from anywhere in the world, whether they're a remote worker that's inside the employee pool, uh, an external third party from one of your trusted suppliers or somebody who's in the office, each of them will request access to an application or a specific thing. And Ciola will be that, you know, if you will, a trust broker, mm-hmm. uh, air quotes around that. Uh, and it will do is we'll make the connection to that specific thing. 
Before it happens though, we're gonna validate that user entirely. We're gonna say, who are you? And do whatever checks are necessary to confirm identity, including the multi-factor checks, the device health checks, all of these different things that happen. And then once they're logged in and verified, then they're gonna see, what am I entitled to? What applications or services am I entitled to? Do I need to do my job? And we like to look at that as, let's build an allow list versus the really large deny list. Instead of trying to okay. say, let's make sure we deny all of the things, let's just go through and just tick the boxes on what is allowed, which mm -hmm. seems a little bit easier. And then once that allow list is confirmed and the user says, oh, I'm gonna click on whatever that application is that they're wanting to access, we then make that connection. Um, and that connection is encrypted with a TLS 1.3 encryption tunnel all the way through uh, our routing cloud, our routing engine, if you will. And when it arrives to us in the cloud in the routing engine, we never decrypt it. We don't actually open up the packet and say, what is this? We, we just look at a, a header, it says, where is it going? And then we deliver it to the nearest place within the customer's trusted boundary, where it is then connected into whatever service it is. So it allows us to put a, a whole bunch of different steps and controls along the way that tend to help customers with some of these challenges they're facing. I, I, it just seems to me kind of, unless there's a way to automate it, um, it seems overwhelming because you have different types of users. And of course you can set group policies, right. but, but when you have multiple manufacturers and different users from those manufacturers, and then uh, you have remote workers and so on and so forth, um, the complexity increases in terms of numbers, but then you throw that in with different types of uh, devices and, you know, you can do different things with different devices. Right. And that's where I would think the real complexity comes in. And so um, how, do, how do you manage that? Well, it becomes a single place where you can say, what users do we have? And we can work with, if you have like no identity provider, if you're using you know, Active Directory or Azure, Azure AD or some external identity source, that's kind of your record of truth, we can absolutely tie into that. So we're getting that feed of who are the approved allowed users. And then what entitlements should those users have? If they belong to the sales group of users, then they're gonna get you know, this list right. of applications. Um, if it's an external third party, a lot of times what'll happen is like, you'll have that external third party that says, okay, now we need to add them as a user in our environment. We'll give them a generic, you know, Schneider at mycompanyname.com. That's not a really healthy way to keep a, a good list of users. And so what Ciolo does is we can actually integrate with that. We can work with all the GPOs, we can work with Skim, we can work with all the different stuff that's sending information back and forth between the identity providers. So you have a clean mm -hmm. identity source. And then on the back end, um, all the different devices and locations, that's all controlled by policy. That's all controlled by what and who is allowed to do that. And then not only that, you know, if the CEO is work is trying to access the financial data on her iPhone from wherever she is, that's going to be a little different level of access with a few more controls, maybe not as many, but and if she was in the office and different settings that you can put in place there. So CEO actually takes a whole bunch of disparate tools and brings them kind of together into a single place where it makes it actually a lot easier for administrators to manage that challenge that you described. Awesome. So I'm assuming you have some competitors um, and yeah. I've probably spoken to some of them in the past. What would you say is your key differentiator? So Gartner would label us a zero trust network access product. People can use their own judgment on what Gartner's opinions are, and they're mm -hmm. they're usually, I think, seventy percent of the way there. 
so yes, we can do the ZTNA stuff that you would expect. You know, we have the global points of presence. We do all of the different connections and routings and things that you would expect for remote workers and VPN elimination and all that kind of stuff. Where we would excel is again, these fine grain levels of control. ZTNA is not necessarily going to help you with your identity provider. It's not gonna help you enforce multi-factor authentication against every application. It's not gonna provide a single sign-on experience, even for a critical infrastructure environment. And in fact, most ETNAs, like if you talk to an operational technologist, somebody who's you know running that assembly line making cookies, there's not a chance they're using a typical IT ZTNA. We have seen an incredible amount of success in those environments because of the way that we architect and we don't require a cloud connection in order to do all of this work. We can run entirely offline inside of a customer's isolated environment mm -hmm. to make that a lot easier and a lot more secure for them. Mm -hmm. And so those are the places that we would excel against some of the competitors that are in that space. And, you know, it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey so far trying to, trying to get this thing ramped up and going. And, and typically when we have these conversations with customers, they're like, I do have this big problem. And mm -hmm. that does seem like a pretty clean way to solve it. I mean, everybody's got the problem. I mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. These, these, and all of the other IoT and the other, the other types of devices that you spoke about are not going away. Um, nope. They're it's only going to increase. Um, so, let me ask you: When I'm, I'm assuming your your sales model and your marketing model is typically is it outbound uh, at this yeah, point? Typically, yeah, yep, typically outbound at this point. Yep. And so, and then, and who, who are you typically engaging with and how does the conversation start? You know, a lot of times we're going after security people. Mm -hmm. So obviously every, every cybersecurity startup wants to go after the chief information security officer. We all want to talk to that person. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I pity their inbox and I pity their LinkedIn <laughs> direct message inbox. It's, it's, it's gotta be insane. Um, but we typically find that they're the ones that are most acutely aware of this challenge. And if you talk to, you know, SOC admin or a security engineer, whatever level security engineer they are, they're, they're typically heads down, they're solving problems, they're, they're getting work done, and they've got enough work to get done. But so the folks that are looking at it and saying, I can recognize this as a big problem. So we've seen that traction at the at the executive level and security leadership. But we've also seen the traction in and there's kind of these interesting roles that are being created, especially in operational technology, where there's like this hybrid cybersecurity slash operational technology engineering person. Sure. And they may come from an OT background and have learned, you know, maybe they got their CISSP or or something like that. Um, those roles are are fascinating because they see both sides of the equation, um, yep. and they and they they very quickly cut to the chase. Like, oh, this this makes sense. This helps. Yeah, no, it's um, I I I think that traditional cybersecurity role um, it, it has to kind of uh, what evolve when you when you're talking about uh, some of these critical devices you're talking about because it doesn't really sit in the purvey of the of the IT departments per, right. per se, you know. So. Um, you know, you've worked uh, across several different industries, yeah, manufacturing, banking, financial services, insurance, oil and gas, to name yep. the, the, some. Um, are there any nuanced differences between those industries that you can talk about? I, yeah, absolutely. I think if, you know, if you're an oil and obviously it depends on what kind of oil and gas company, what kind of energy generation company you are, where you fit in the, the whole stream of things, right? But it's also, at the end of the day, it's still machines and devices that are moving things along and have um, really risky connections. You know, in the banking industry, it's highly regulated. There's a lot of different things that are happening in there. Um, but I would I would say that the nuances come down to the types of users 
mm-hmm. the types of connections that they're wanting to make. And that's what the nuance I mean, at the end of the day, it's users connecting to something for information or work. It's that's pretty, pretty standard, but it's the types of users, the, um, the level of structure or the level of security that the user should have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in insurance, right? You have a, a, an enrolled agent who's got all sorts of certifications to be able to sell, you know, life or health or, or whatever type of insurance that they're selling. But then that person employs, you know, junior agents or admin administrators or other folks that their certification levels do not entitle them to same to the same level of access or information. And so you have this stratification that it, it needs to be accounted for. And so I would say that's where the nuances really come in. And then on the other side is what is the information being held? You know, and insurance has got PII, banking has got obviously financial data that's highly important. And then you get into the the types of information coming off of a a pump in an oil field. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the level of information, the stratification there, those are where the nuances come from. Well, and and what part of the reason I asked that is um, my earlier question is about you know, you know your outreach to these organizations and who yeah. you talk to. And I, I'm curious, like how you start the conversation, because I would think with different industries, like you said, the scenarios are slightly different. And so you might want to speak their language, right? Uh, right. T- uh, talk about things that are of direct concern for their specific industry. But maybe um, maybe you can just talk a little bit about when you're talking to and you can pick whatever industry. Sure. What are the what are the things that you're saying and, and are asking them? And then in, in and what are the things that your prospective customers uh, are asking you about? deploying something like this? Yeah, a lot of the times we start the conversation at that place of, hey, look, we know every one of us is facing this challenge. You have users that you have to connect, but you don't have enough control over their connection. And it's just, it's a risky nightmare. It's just, it's just a reality. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times, you know, we find that, you know, human beings, we like to feel autonomous. We like to feel that we have control, that we are agents of change and, and you know, the masters of our own story, which is generally true. And unfortunately, cybersecurity, sometimes you don't feel like that. It's just a, right. it, stuff happens. And so that's where we start our conversations of saying, what is this scenario for you? Again, that it could cause enormous damage to your business. And let's talk about that. Let's figure that out. Let's drill into that. And then let's show you how we can help you with the controls that you would need to secure that or to enable that. Um, and then typically, you know, it gets into, it gets into a fairly technical conversation pretty quickly which is a good thing and and a bad thing at the same time, just from a pure marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing because, you know, now we're actually talking about the specifics of how we can help solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a bad thing because then all of a sudden they start realizing this is a really big problem and I want to expand the scope a lot bigger to try and solve everything. No, let's, let's start at the biggest problem first. Let's solve that. And then let's keep working on down the line. Okay, and that leads into my next question because, from what I understand, uh, Ciolo Security's platform is uh, primarily concerned about access and access rights and and monitoring what people do when they do have access. But another part of that equation, when it comes to device security, is patch management, uh, mm-hmm. vulnerability awareness. Uh, how do you work alongside that, or is that part of Ciolo's platform? Yeah, that would not be a part of our core competency. That would be mm-hmm. something that we would rely on, you know, whatever VM tool that you have or discovery tool. There are a lot of great discovery tools, even for the OT space that you can run to help identify the devices that are there mm-hmm. and then start getting reportings on known vulnerabilities, emerging threats and that kind of thing. We would work with and integrate with all that. And that's, abs- I mean, that's 100% critical. And that is, that is a no way to take away from absolutely do that. Yeah. It's a lot easier to manage, vul- no, I'm sorry. 
wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is it is different to manage vulnerabilities in an IT space. Sure. You know, if you've got a you know a server farm, cool, just move your loads around a little bit and patch and then you know do all that stuff. But in a in a process manufacturing environment, like managing a vulnerability there is is nearly impossible. So it comes down to how do we isolate, segment, and restrict that becomes of a more critical nature than necessarily vulnerability management, in my opinion. And so that's where Cielo comes in of saying, absolutely, let's make sure we keep this environment isolated and hidden and restricted so that these known vulnerabilities, that you're not going to get downtime to patch for another five years if that manufacturer even releases a patch, you know, we can keep that a lot more secure. Okay, so if, if I'm understanding correctly, the reason it's more it's difficult to do the the uh, vulnerability tracking and patch management is because you have just such a wide variety of devices and in very niche areas. Is that, is that the re the rationale there? Yeah, I would I would say like it's it's hard to manage vulnerabilities, especially in like a critical infrastructure. If it's in a hospital, you have medical devices and a whatever that vertical is, um, it's hard to manage vulnerabilities there because uh, keeping an accurate inventory of the devices that you have is difficult. And yep. then, so once you solve that, you get accurate inventory. Now you can start looking at what vulnerabilities are out there. I mean, the vulnerability databases are well publicized. Like you can, mm -hmm. if you have a device, you can track, and there are tools out there that will do that, that will discover, and that will also track vulnerabilities against the discovered devices. The, the challenge comes in, it's, it's one thing to know you have a vulnerability, and it's something else entirely to be able to patch and fix that vulnerability. Those are two very separate conversations. Um, the, you know, patching and fixing requires one, that there be a patch and a fix that mm -hmm. the software manufacturer actually writes new code to fix that thing. And then two, you have the opportunity to apply the new code to fix the thing. Those are, you know, both very difficult conversations, especially in 24 seven uptime environments that, you know, getting any downtime is at a premium. So that's, that's the, where I want to shift the conversation in a lot of ways of, okay, yes, that's absolutely important. We should not stop that. However, what can we do right now today without having to wait for a patch to make our environment significantly more secure? That's that's yes. the conversation I think needs to happen. Which is protecting access or uh, controlling right. access, right? Okay. Right. Makes makes a lot of sense. So, so let me ask you this. Let's go back to the more general. And if you were to give, you know, one, two pieces of advice to somebody who's whose job it is to protect critical infrastructure or critical devices, what are the one or two, three things that you would say this should be at the very top of your list? Well, uh, the first thing I would say, this, this, I wouldn't include this in my top three pieces of advice professionally, but the first one I would say is, uh, make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like take a, get some rest go on vacation. If you can, <laughs> you know, spend time with loved ones, you know, do something that you find enjoyable in life because you're working incredibly hard and, and it is not, it is very appreciated and you're, you're doing work that we all absolutely need. Um, the second piece is, is I would absolutely start with get a very definitive list of assets that are in your environment so that you can start. We'd start our conversation with how do you start strata? How do you start you know, sorting? what devices are critical, what devices are, are kind of fit there. Get that list together, start prioritizing that work because if you don't know it's there, you you have a hard time you know, enforcing controls against it. Uh, the second thing I would say is that you have to you know, explore how this model of you know, getting access right and controlling access. Um, first step there would be 
kick out anyone who just left a jump box in your environment to make it easier for them to remote into their system. Oh, I just wanted to pull a couple of pieces of data off the device. And <laughs> they won't mind. You got to get rid of those people and, and, and put a good methodology about how we're going to allow access. And, and then the third thing I would say is tightly aligned to your business. Make sure that you understand why the business is wanting these connections or mm -hmm. what's happening, you know, on, on, on down the line so that you can sit there and kind of be involved in that process. Like, hey, I know you want this and this is really important to us. So how can I help make that happen instead of the, oh, I can't do anything about it or, or security just said no, or be an enabler of what the business is trying to do. And you'll be surprised how far that'll take you. Some great advice. Hey, let me drill down on number two a bit here. Yeah. You know, what are some best practices that you've seen in terms of, you know, creating some type of device inventory and then, and then what's the process for maintaining it? How do you do it? Can you automate it? Do this is something you have to do kind of on a, a regular basis, but yeah, what have you seen? Yeah. So there's, there are some great tools that are out there that can run inside the environment in a non-obtrusive way um, that just kind of look at network traffic and then start seeing what data is there and then um, parsing it, if you will, so that you get an accurate list of what is actually connected and communicating on my environment. And that is very, very helpful. And it's, you know, some are more accurate than others. So use your own judgment as you start looking for those tools and stuff. But again, once you have that definitive list, then you can start doing all sorts of really good things with it of like, you know, which of my, which of my devices are most critical? What vulnerabilities do I know that I have? I mean, you'd be surprised the type of devices that are out there and hospitals Specifically, you know, MRI machines will still be running a Windows 7 operating system at times, and you're sitting there mm -hmm. saying, "How long has that been end of life?" Right. You know, there right. are plenty right of before you climb into that. Right before you climb into that device, and you're going to lay down there for a half hour. <laughs> yeah, all the clicking and you know, yeah. all the, it's running Windows 7. You know, it's 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 what it is, right? It's yeah, yeah. but you got to that device is not going anywhere, and the business is not going to replace it probably for another 10 years. Right. Um, that's just the way it goes. So knowing you have vulnerabilities, and then you can start making the specific plans of what do we have to do to make sure that we mitigate these vulnerabilities? If I can patch it, absolutely do it, please do. Uh, but if I can't, well, now what do I have to do? What's my next best option? And typically that's isolating it, keeping it locked away, hidden, and, and tightly restricting any access to it. Awesome, um, again, great advice. Uh, let's jump over to the consumer side because you know we we, yep. we we all we all work in enterprises and um, and then we all but we also go home and you know you referenced earlier that you you have some controls for your your kids games, yeah. um, you know as a parent, what would you be concerned with or what advice would you give in terms of protecting your children's uh, security posture? And I'm just going to leave it at that because I you could talk about devices you could talk about whatever but you know what would be top of mind for you? You know, that's a good point, a, good, a great question. It can go a ton of different directions. I think the way I'd like to answer that question is, um, and obviously there are, are many, many things as parents that we want to shield our children from. Um, but as they, as they get older, there are just many things that it's not as feasible to. So I would say the best cybersecurity advice you can give your kids is to know what's real and, mm -hmm. and, and what's fake. So if they know what real is, if they, if they understand what real relationship and what real connection and what real fun, all these things like spoil them for real things <laughs> and the phony won't seem as enticing. 
Um, you know, there's just a ton. I, mean, I have I have daughters, I have sons. It's just it's a scary world on the internet, as we all know. And so yeah, that's I think that's my job as as their dad is to is to spoil them in a way so they get to have a, a great experience. And so and so if something challenging does arise or if they're on their favorite game that happens to be connected to the internet and somebody wants to chat them, you know, they say, dad, this person tried to talk to me. You know, I, I want to have that connection with them where they, they get to have that conversation. Um, you know, paralleling to the cybersecurity space. I think sometimes we, we make users bad guys and say, Oh, they're so they're, they're not smart. They don't understand. They clicked on a phishing email link and well, the phishing email links are getting really good. And, and these people also have deadlines and high priority projects and hard work in front of them. They're just trying to get their jobs done. And yeah. Um, yeah. And they get know, an email they, from somebody that says, Hey, um, you know, <clears throat> this job profile is, you know, we're looking for somebody just like you or yeah. uh, and here, here, here's the, here's the PDF with the description or, um, Oh, Hey, Hey man, why haven't you paid this invoice? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Their hair is on fire too. We're all yeah. human. Exactly. And so that's, that's the advice I would say, like for, from the, from the, the, the individual side is, um, is stay connected, you know, stay connected to the, to those users, to those, to your kids, to those people that you care about. I mean, my, my in-laws fell for a, a, a scam where they ended up buying gift cards, uh, for oh, yeah. a scam, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. And they were very chagrined about the whole thing. And, and I, and I think the worst was I, when I told him, yes, you can call me, like you can, you can give me a call. You can ask a question and I'm happy to, to help out. And, um, they were sugar and they didn't do that. And so maintaining so, that connection is helpful. I've only seen that happen in the, uh, the, you know, organizational or enterprise environment where, you know, somebody gets an email from the boss and they're new, typically new to the company and they'll get an email saying, Hey, uh, I, I need you to run out and get, you know, $500 worth of gift cards from target. Um, please do this ASAP. And, uh, you know, then they, they've, I forget the technical term, but like spoofed the, the boss's email. So it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it, it appears to be from the boss, um, uh, whoever the boss is. And yeah, then they go and do that and then say, okay, hey, so I need the numbers of the gift cards. And then the, the, the money just goes. Um, right. How does that work in a, in a, in a consumer environment? Well, like I mean, how did that happen with you? Yeah. Yeah. Specifically yeah. for them, they got a phone call from someone that pretended to be from the local law enforcement that said, um, you're, you're past due on, I can't remember, like property taxes or some, you know, some government official sounding issue. Right. And you're past due on this. And in fact, we're having the sheriff, you know, track you to come oh collect, you know, adding, adding just, you know, the pressure onto that thing. And, and, and to be clear, that is not what our government officials do. They, that is yeah. not how they operate, right? If anyone's listening, that's not what they do. Um, and if you have ever have any questions, you can absolutely reach out and, and, and double check, triple check that, that information. Um, and so to the point, and I, I can't remember, this was the scary, but the point where they said, they, they actually pointed out the street that they were driving on currently. So I don't know how they were wow. getting like cell data. Of, I don't have no idea how they were doing this. So to them, it felt very real. It felt very scary. Um, you know, my in-laws, they're not, you know, they're not native technologists. And so they're, right. you know, they're doing their best and, and all of it felt weird and scary and new. And they ended up going, they said, well, okay, fine. We can, if you go buy a couple of gift cards at the local pharmacy and then, That'll, we, that's the fastest way to get this paid. And then the sheriff won't come arrest you kind of thing. So that's, that's what got them and, um, terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And, you know, unfortunately there are people that make a living off of scamming. It's, you know, yeah, that kind of would, 
just would like to catch those people sometime. <laughs> like, yeah. Know? But, um, but it goes back to your advice in terms of, it's not just for children, it's for everybody yep. know what's real because that would, didn't sound like a super, you know, complex techno technological hack. That was pure no. social engineering, you know? And so know what's real and when in doubt, slow down, call somebody, ask, confirm, verify. So great advice. Hey, um, wrap things up here, but, um, I looked on your LinkedIn profile again and yep. it, it said you were in, are you in Bozeman? I am in Bozeman, yeah. Okay, so you know what book you got to read? Which is that? Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay. I've okay, yeah. That so yeah. that, that uh, Robert Persig, um, yeah, he was, uh, I think he was a PhD candidate for the from University of Chicago with the Committee of Social Thought, moved to Bozeman, uh, kind of went insane, wrote this amazingly um, insightful book. It gets a little wow. deep towards the end. But, yeah. uh, but if you ever, if you ever, but he talks a lot about Bozeman and he's on his motorcycle on the roads around there and things like that. So yeah, yeah. That's a little, awesome. little Bozeman I'm, I'm a trivia. big reader. I'm a big reader and I love, uh, deep reads. I enjoy that very much. That's a great recommendation. Yeah. Thank it you. starts off deceptively simple. He's talking about yeah. working on motorcycles, but it's not about that at the end. It's, uh, <laughs> it goes a lot deeper, but anyway, Hey, uh, Samuel, really enjoyed the conversation and, uh, and I'd like to wish you and the entire Seolo security team, a great 2023. Hey, Mark, thanks for having me today. It's been a pleasure. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.